Welcome everybody to the Anagram Journey Podcast. This is Joel, and I'm thrilled to bring you part one of a little mini two-part series on the Anagram and threes, sixes, and nines. In 2019, before a conference, the Anagram Journey had a live event where we had two threes, two sixes, and two nines come and speak with Suzanne about what that looks like to be both repressed and dominant in the same center. Because of technical difficulties, we haven't been able to release it. But we found some video and pulled audio from that. And long story short, we put it together and we've got today's episode. And then next week's episode, which will be the second half of this, will come from a different source and have a little bit better audio quality. But I think you're going to like what you hear today. So I'm thrilled to introduce Laura and John as our Enneagram 3s on the panel, Heather and Craig, who you may recognize from previous episodes of the Enneagram Journey podcast, and Jill and Brett as our Enneagram 9s, and Jill has been on the podcast before as well. All six of these individuals have either been one of Suzanne's Enneagram apprentices or a member of her Enneagram cohort, and they've learned a lot, and they've also taught us all a lot. If you are still trying to determine your Enneagram number and you've been torn between three, six, and nine, I bet these two podcasts will help. Also, if you've been jonesing to go to a Know Your Number workshop, but like everyone else, we're disappointed that it hasn't been able to happen because of social distancing and public safety and quarantine and every other description of what's going on, Suzanne Stabile's Know Your Number workshop is now available for you to watch online. Visit either suzannestabile.com backslash KYN for know your number or lifeinthetrinityministry.com backslash KYN. Also in the menu on each homepage, there's a little tab for it. There you will find video of Suzanne's Know Your Number workshop, a little over six hours of content that was filmed in Austin, Texas last year. It's a seven-day rental, so you don't have to cram it all in in one night or one day that's a lot to take in and that way you can listen over it a few times and take notes and all that jazz well without further ado let's go ahead and get to Suzanne, Laura and John Heather and Craig and Jill and Brett as they discuss what it looks like to be a 3, a 6 or a 9 Microphone. you have to talk to my Sorry. group of people they don't usually give me one they put it on me all right, who do, how many of you do not know your number? We got one. Okay. <laughs> All right, I think we can handle that. So tonight's going to help. I'm not like four of these people. So. <laughs> you good? Sorry, yeah, I am good. Keep looking around crazy. Well... When Daddy hugs somebody for a long, long time, I wonder who it is. It's always another pastor. <laughs> is that, okay, is that an done. Enneagram 7 pastor? Yes. Yeah, right on. Okay, cool. All right, welcome. Of course it is. You see them laughing? Like, they're not going to hear a they're word. Having, they're having a good time. Yeah. That's, if this gets boring, you want to go sit back there. That's a uh, deal. Well, welcome, first of all. Huge thanks to you all for coming. Huge thanks to Highland Oaks Church of Christ for hosting us. And I'm being recruited by 1128 Ministries. They've got they their peril. You're mine. Uh, 1128, if you see 
Anyone wearing this shirt? Ask them about it. It's besides me. Uh, so, very cool. All right. Thank you all for coming. Now we're going to get to the stars of the show. Suzanne Stabile, the Enneagram Godmother. Woo. Someone called her recently at an intro uh, a desert mother. I thought that was too much. We, uh, yeah, one, one, a, a desert mother. I was like, no, we'll draw the line. Uh, I have none of the gifts for being a desert mother. Desert they mother. live alone in a little place in the desert and they're quiet. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're in agreement that we're going to bail on that one. But Enneagram Godmother works. Uh, one of the questions that we get, man, as much as any other question, how can you be repressed and dominant in the same center of intelligence? Uh, everybody get one of those sheets of paper when they walked in, got the anagram on it. So if you have some questions, that's going to help out a little bit. But what we have here tonight are two anagram threes, two anagram sixes, and two anagram nines. And they're going to go ahead and introduce themselves a little bit so you know who's talking. And then we're going to jump into... Uh, little questions and answers and discussion. So let's start. Hi, uh, I'm Laura Addis. I'm a three. Uh, I live in Asheville, North Carolina uh, with my husband. Shout out to Asheville from somebody. Didn't see that coming. Uh, <clears throat> I work uh, for LTM, actually. So I work remotely and travel uh, with Suzanne and Joe and Joel. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think those are all the things I'm supposed to say. I did the apprentice program. Uh, when the cohort program was a three-year program called The Apprentice, I did that with John, and we finished before. It was in the past. I don't remember the details. So We don't do the past. Do the <laughs> <laughs> My name is John Singletary. I'm also a three, uh, an apprentice, and I live in Waco, Texas. Uh, I'm a three married to an eight. We have five teenagers in our house, so we need that much energy to be able to handle it. Uh, I work at Baylor University. I'm the dean of our School of Social Work there. I am Heather Mustaine. I am a graduate of the School of Social Work at Baylor. I'm also a minister here in town. I serve on a staff as the Minister of Missions and Advocacy. I am a six on the Enneagram. I have two young children whom I love and a partner, husband, who's awesome too. Oh, and I was part of the cohort 2018. Thank you, Brett. My name is Craig Nash. I am also a six. I, my office is in the School of Social Work at Baylor University, but I work for uh, Baylor's Texas Hunger Initiative. Um, and I am currently a part of this year's cohort. And I'm Jill Harrington. I was not a part of the School of Social Work, but I did go to Baylor <laughs> years and years ago. I live here in Dallas. I am the operations director at a therapeutic school here. And I was a part of an apprentice program um, several, quite a few years ago. I don't even know what year that was. And I'm an Enneagram 9. Uh, and my name is Brett Gibson. I'm also an Enneagram 9. I live in <clears throat> uh, Waco, Texas. I work at Baylor University. <laughs> I am, uh, right, wait, we, we sh this really should have been happening in Waco tonight, I'm afraid. Oh, man. Next time. Um, and I am uh, married to an Enneagram 7, and we have three kids, 12 and under. So one of the reasons that uh, there is such a contingency from Waco and Baylor is because I started teaching there a long time ago, and the staff at Baylor made it possible for me to come twice a year, 
uh, by making me speak at chapel. God. That was supposed to save me or something. They don't invite me to speak at chapel anymore, but um, because I taught at Baylor for so long, they're, they're, uh, out of that, a community grew that continues to do Enneagram work and be interested in the Enneagram. And one of the things that we hope for all the time is that when we go into a place and commit for uh, once or twice a year over several years, that there will be a community that then exists after we're not there, where people are still doing all good Enneagram work. And there's no reason why that can't happen. There's no reason why I have to be on site for any of that to happen. So it's a, this, this is really honoring of the years that I spent at Baylor and in Waco and the outcome of people choosing to do the work when I was gone. So I'm just really proud of all you Baylor folk. And that's mine and Joe's way to talk about being ecumenical because we're Methodists and we're in a church of Christ. So I think we're covered tonight, baby. All right. Don't know if you're like, man, I'm just going to show up for this thing. I don't even know what they're talking about. Uh, well, first, I have to introduce Joe to you. Giuseppe's back there. Joe calls him the Reverend. I call him Giuseppe. You may not call him Giuseppe. That's my name for him. Uh, hey, wave at everybody or do something. There he is. And if you've never heard me introduce him, then uh, he's the very best part of anything that has to do with me. And he's the reason that Joel and I um, somehow are who we are, along with his siblings, and I love you. All right, let's talk about this. <clears throat> In understanding triads, everybody is dominant in either thinking, feeling, or doing. And in understanding stances... Everybody is repressed in either thinking, feeling, or doing. And that works for the other six numbers. But for these three numbers, they are dominant and repressed in the same center of intelligence. So there are only three centers of intelligence. You operate out of those three all the time, and you take in information or stimulus from the environment, and then you respond to that first with either what do I think, what do I feel, or what am I going to do? And um, that then kind of takes over, and one of the other two supports that, and one you don't use much until you learn that you need to. So you have a question, I think, for how they can get into that. Yeah, we'll, we'll jump into it. And then the thing that, is, that also comes up a lot is people are like, I'm not repressed in that. Repressed means different things for each number. It's not, everyone's not repressed the same way. Someone's not even repressed, it's forgotten or half used or just used the least. So people get hung up on that word. All right, so, but the first question that is going to get this conversation going with y'all Describe your dominant center of intelligence, how that works for you without talking about how it's repressed. So we're threes, you're only talking about how you take in information with feelings. The twisted way that I talk about feelings is I worry about how people feel about me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell them that. <laughs> and so I take in information kind of gauging what's happening in a room, what is my place, I think about relationships. I am kind of heart forward. I, I, I want to make sure people are okay. 
I, I think about relationships and then I stop thinking about them. I forget that I'm thinking about them. But I really do desire connection. I worry about connections. I long for connections. I, I yearn for meaningful relationships. I value those. Go and talk to that. Mark. And then I fret about them because I get distracted and think I can do them. We won't talk about that part yet, but I really do. Uh, I am a heart-centered person where relationships are at the forefront of how I go through life. So for a three to say that, for a three to look at you, honest from a stage, in an opportunity for performing and say, open with, I um, am feeling dominant in that I am very concerned about how you feel about me. That's after years of Enneagram work. Most threes feel that way. They would never say it. Good for you. Great. Now you get to win. You started with that one. How are you going? How are you going to stay that Check. high though for the rest of you got you got two hours to stay with that level of health. So keep that going. Um, I would say the same thing, uh, and I think through Enneagram work, I've started to recognize how much um, I thought I was a two for a long time. I was told I was an Enneagram two, and so I just lived in being two-ness for a while. And then, then I started to realize that I wanted to be liked, but I wanted you to like me more than you liked any other person in the world, which turns out is three-ness, not two-ness. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> so I, I think that feeling thing it is about relationship. Um, I, I would agree with you in that. And and I think some of the work for me, I, I don't know if I'm answering your question or not, but but I've begun to realize that, um, that that taking information in with feeling and that desire for relationship and for us to be good, and mostly when I say I want us to be good, it means I want you to like me the most of anyone you've ever met. Um, I think I've started to recognize that that feeling, taking information in with that feeling, can either be I can be trying to work every person in the whole room, or I can start to recognize I'm probably not going to win all 200 of you. And so who are the relationships in my life that are really important? Like if I'm out with my husband, I can be trying to win the server or trying to win somebody else, or I can be focused on who I'm with. And so that taking in information feeling for me has started to turn into I could try to work the whole room or I could try to have authentic relationships with the people that are really close to me and maybe someday I can have both but right now I think I gotta I gotta focus in for a little bit all right so then for sixes thinking okay so I'm sitting here trying to think um thanks for giving us time yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um I I feel as if being thinking dominant, I am notoriously a slow processor. Um, it takes me a long time to think through um, what I want to say or what I believe or what I feel. Um, being thinking dominant, I, I love thinking. Um, I'm not sure my brain ever stops thinking. Uh, I love strategy and analyzing and information. Um, I'm top heavy, my brain's um, always going. So I, uh, I'm, I don't have a lot of feelings. I'm not sure I've, I'm not dominant in feelings. And so I'm not really thinking um, as much relationally as I am when I enter a room um, 
about information and how I can, what, what information is being given to me and what does that mean for my kind of security and for those around me and myself. Um, I would just add one thing to that. For me is um, when we walk into a room or when I walk into a room, I am thinking relationally a little bit, but that is for me information. Like that's just part of the whole thing. Um, and then I would, the only thing I would add to that is, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things that the Enneagram does is you hear this all the time. People say, Oh, am I the only person who does that? Um, I think kind of the, the flip side of that is, um, I didn't necessarily know that what I was doing was thinking all the time. Um, I look back to when, my favorite job when I was a kid was mowing lawns, and I hated riding lawnmowers. I loved push lawnmowers because it took long, a longer amount of time. And all I would do was my mind would just um, just think about everything. And in retrospect, I'm like, oh, this is what was going on. I was just able to be alone with my thoughts. And boom. You got to know real fast before we go on what... Uh John said about your podcast. A few of these people have been on the podcast before. You might recognize them. And John, driving from Baylor in, listened to the podcast with Craig. Can we just say really quick, though, John being the aggressive number left probably 20, 30 minutes after Brett and I left and got here probably <laughs> an hour before we got here. <laughs> well, apparently... I was felt, worried about not beating you once I got to traffic. Apparently it felt longer than him. He, he walked into... We're, where we were having some pizza before this, and says, oh my gosh, Craig, speed up the conversation on his podcast. It was the slowest podcast ever. It was like great content, but so I slow. I wanted traffic. to listen to it at a time and a half, if I can. I love you, Craig. So the thing I want to remind you all to do is watch everybody. I mean, I want you to really listen to who's talking, but be mindful of what's happening with everything, because when Craig says... You know, I didn't want a riding lawnmower. I wanted to push lawnmower because it took longer. Those two almost fell out of the chair. It's like, what do you mean you wanted to take longer? Uh, that's crazy to want something to take longer. So just watch for it all. It's, it's, a, it's a lot to learn up here. <laughs> all right, so we're on to nines and dominant doing. I want to say one more thing. Did y'all see the little thing that happened there with the sixes? that didn't happen with threes. Did anybody catch what happened? So what happens with the threes is they each tell their stuff, right? But what Craig did is, oh, I'll, I'll just, I agree with Heather. There's only one more thing I'd like to say. <laughs> like that, you, yeah, you ought to make him go first next time. I mean, I'm just saying. All right, you two. Sure, I'll get started. Uh, so I'm very aware that doing drives my life. It's really activity that drives my life. Um, I'm, I'm constantly doing something. Like I rarely, I rarely sit down or relax. Um, I love marking things off my to-do list. Um, like driving in to work this morning, I saw a classroom that was still set up from last night that a meeting had happened. So I immediately walked in didn't think about what was already on my calendar to do for the day, but went in there and made sure that it was set up for the day for that class. Um, so just I see what needs to be done, and I just, uh, whatever comes in front of me is what drives what I do. 
Um, I think uh, the doing intelligence center is it's the most kind of visible intelligence center because it's pretty obvious if you're doing or not doing and and so I think the repressed side of it is so much more obvious for a nine when we're not doing um, but uh, I, I I think where I see it is it's really been through a lot of work but um, I see it in the fact that I have a lot of opinions um, like I do think that there are right ways to do things and that things ought to be done and that things um, I see that there is stuff in the world to be done it's just it's I don't always think it's mine to do or I don't it doesn't occur to me that it's mine to do which I will get to in a minute but I I'm much more opinionated than I think most than I usually give off uh, I don't I don't I, I seem like a very laid-back person and will go along with anything but I'm learning that I really do care about what's happening in the world in front of me. So you think that's because you have a one wing? Is your one wing dominant? I think so. I think so. So if you don't know this, when you're just learning the Enneagram or when you're um, sort of in a little but not totally sure, the most difficult place on the Enneagram to figure out what your number is is between nine and one. And that's because there is a, a sense in nines that their presence doesn't matter and an urgency in ones that you can make your presence matter if you do this and you do it right. So it's uh, when you hear, I look laid back, but I'm, I'm maybe not as laid back as you think, that is really saying... I have an idea about what should happen. I really think somebody should do it. Occasionally it occurs to me that it should be me. And I have a way, an an idea about how it should be done, whoever does it. But I have a desire to be unaffected by life, so I'm probably not going to say it. So a lot goes on in these two that just never gets said. But it's all happened. Piggybacking on what Jill said, one of my favorite recent stories, we were talking to someone and they were nine and they, they said that about being doing dominant. Like I do what's in front of me. And I think they still, they told a story about their, uh, a parent who that, that was like the thing, like if a boat came by, they would get in the boat. And as it went by, my mom likes to bust the reverend's chops every now and then about how if Jesus came, you know, that he would just go with them. And that, you know, what about me and the kids and the family? And what it's about is because he's a nine, not because he's more faithful than you are. It's Jesus came and... There you go. Did you hear that? (laughs) It's not about faithfulness. It's just about merging. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're going to now look at the other side and same question, except for will you please describe how you're repressed and that exact same thing without talking about... How you're dominant. I have a story. Is that okay? We love telling stories. My boss says you should teach with stories. So I have one prepared for this evening. That's all I have. Uh, so um, my husband is a five. And a couple years ago, um, he got really sick. And we thought that he had the stomach bug. Uh, and then he like kept having the stomach bug. And then he kept, kept having the stomach bug. And eventually the urgent care people said like, we've given you everything we can give. This is beyond us now. Like if he throws up again, like y'all need to go to the hospital. So he did. 
And we did. And so we go to the ER and this is a terrible story. It's the right story. I'm telling it too long. I got to practice. You're so much better. Well, anyway, he ends up in the hospital for like six days. It was not the stomach bug. It was like this huge thing. Um, and all through that, like I was, I mean, I was in like a little bit scared, but mostly like, let's get him into his room. And then he needs a change of clothes and I need a change of clothes. And the hospital has Wi-Fi, So I'll grab my computer so that I can work while he's in the hospital bed. And now we're here for another couple of days. And I was just like, kind of going through it, doing all the things that needed to be done. Um, and he's in the hospital for five days or so. And then he got released and it turns out that he has this non-curable, but really easily managed disease. And so, yeah, he takes some pills and we're fine and everything's good and we were all kind of good and life was going along and I'd kind of forgotten that he'd been in the hospital because it's not really a thing anymore. And um, he went to go run an errand one evening uh, and uh, he's a five, you know, so he's not very chatty. So he needed to drop something off and he was going to like drop it off and then he was going to come home. And I met somebody and stayed for a while. That never happens. So, I start cooking dinner and he goes to run his errand and <clears throat> about 20 minutes go by and uh, he hadn't come home and maybe 45 minutes go by and so I text him and he doesn't text back. And I call him, he doesn't answer and he's five so he always has his phone. So, so he's, not, he's not coming home and then like an hour's gone by and he hasn't come home and he hasn't responded. And we, um, we just have one car, so he had our car so I'm just at the house, like I don't, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to get to him. So I, I kind of started freaking out, like really freaking out. Like I'm crying real hard and he is a hundred percent dead in my mind at this point. And I don't know where he is because he's at somebody's house that I don't know about. And so, you know, I'm sending texts. Like I called Uber. Uber's going to be here in 10 minutes and they're taking me to, I don't know where, but I'm going to get in a car and they're going to drive me <laughs> till we find you. And he like right before the, the Uber car showed up to pick me up to, I don't, know where we were going to go to find him. He called and he said, oh, I'm so sorry. Like we started chatting and turns out we had these mutual friends and wasn't so lovely. And I left my phone in the car and I'm on the way home. And, and I just cried. I mean, I cried probably for, I don't know, two days after that. What if I had lost you? What if you couldn't come home? You almost died. What would I do without you? And finally he was like, no, is this about is this about the errand and me not having my phone? Or is this about last year when I was in the hospital and I almost died and I almost didn't come home and we had to deal with that? So it was like this, it was that whole incident I had completely set feeling aside the whole time he was in the hospital. I was knocking things through, staying in touch with his parents in a different state, handling all the details that needed to be handled. And I'd never really come back to that feeling until six months, a year, whenever it was later, the same kind of situation happened. And it was like, I was dealing with, why aren't you answering your phone? Like, this is kind of weird. And, oh my gosh, you really almost died. Like, that was a big, serious thing that happened. And all of those feelings at one time was a lot of feelings. That was a really good job of telling a story with feelings except for the part where you got mad at yourself in the middle because it wasn't efficient well, it's enough. too many details, yeah. It's too many details of the bingo. It was not efficient. <laughs> Listen to this. So then, I'll just tell some more. Then maybe... Uh, uh, did y'all all see what happened? Like, I, ha I travel with these two people, right? And they do this all the time. It's like, okay, could you sit back? I can't see her. So y'all go. <laughs> so then, this winter, my brother got really sick. And... Uh, it kind of in the middle of the night and it was a big thing in our families 
um, it, was, it was a big deal. So that morning, I'm on the phone with my mom. We made plane tickets. And we figured out all the arrangements. And then I cried that afternoon. And I didn't work that afternoon. And I cried and all in the same day. And I was so proud of myself for having all those feelings on the same day. Look, you got a pause. <laughs> success. <laughs> Efficiency and success. All right, John. For my whole life, I have thought that I have value for what I can accomplish for you. So relationships matter to me. I want relationships that matter, but I turn them into tasks. And so I, when I hear Laura tell this story, I think of still not that long ago experiences of grief in my life. My mom passed away four years ago. A 15-year mentor passed away a few months before that. Within moments, I turned it into to-do lists. I didn't know what to do with the feelings. I set them aside, and I want to do something. And, and, and I, I just don't know where the feelings go. I, I don't know where the grief goes. I hope to get back to it. And then it does just show up later, sideways. Um, there's someone in, in our life now who um, is facing a, a difficult journey that we don't anticipate ending well, and I'm planning opportunities for their family to show how much I care. And, and that can be a good thing, but I don't stop to sit with the feelings. It just becomes a task. And so relationships matter. That's my feeling dominant but then I immediately want to do relationships, and that is feeling repressed. Repressed thinking. I guess I've been assigned to go first, so. <laughs> Which is difficult because I don't quite know how to talk yet about um, thinking being repressed without also thinking about it being dominant, but. Uh, luckily, I rode up here with Brett and got to source material um, while I was going, while we were coming up here. And um, I think the way I describe being thinking repressed is that my thinking has no end, and not end like it doesn't end, but it has no point um, that it's getting to. Um, a few days ago, I was. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Can we just talk? We need to talk about that for sure. a minute. Your thinking has no point that it's getting to. Hmm. My feelings have no point that they're getting to. Right? Like, I, I can just keep on feeling, and if one thing gets handled, then I just start feeling about something else. Is that what thinking is like for you? Yep. Yep. So, so if you think something through for a while, and then you run out of things to think about that, you just switch lanes and think about something else for a while? So I, I, I think of whatever the thought in the mind is at the time. So I was about to tell a story. I was... Um, Until I interrupted and, you, I'm No, sorry. that's okay. No, I appreciate it. That gave me time to think. <laughs> I mean, I was also listening to you uh, because, you're, because you're Suzanne Stabile, but I was thinking. <laughs> um, I was just hanging out. We were telling stories, and I started telling, and this is how my mind works when I'm alone. I was telling a story that led to another story that led to another story, 
and I started talking about homecoming moms in Texas and how that's like a big thing um, that no one else who's not from Texas knows about. And in the middle of me telling the story, I stopped and said, why am I talking about homecoming moms? <laughs> and that was, that's like how, uh, you know, my thinking is repressed and that there was no direction at all. So um, thinking repressed for me is about, uh, I think Hudson and Rousseau call it the inner committee. Um, it's engaging my inner committee. So um, for sixes, they have uh, lost their inner uh, sense of guidance, and so they look to others for that, and hence the inner committee. And I love committee work, too, so I like think about who's going to be on my committees. I was thinking about that today. I know. I love it so much. Yeah. So I have like I have different committees for different things. So if I'm like, should I wear this to the event? I will um, take a picture of myself in the mirror and send it to my sister, a friend of mine. And I mean, I have like committees for different things. Um, that for me is thinking repressed. And then um, another example would be I have a newborn. Well, he's three and a half months, but kind of a newborn. And newborns are super unpredictable, and you can't get them on a schedule. I mean, there's just no, like, predictability, and I love, I, I need that. And so newborn life for me is really, really hard emotionally. Um, and so Google becomes my, like, newborn authority, right? So I'm constantly typing in questions to Google. Um, how do you get a newborn on a sleep schedule? How much should my newborn be drinking? How, like, how much should they be sleeping? So I'm constantly asking Google all of these questions that... Sixes are experts at Google. I was in my office yesterday and someone asked a question, like they were trying to figure something out, and I got on my phone and literally within 10 seconds I found the answer, Google. and everyone was like, how in the world did you just... And they were also on Google, like trying to figure out how to Google. <laughs> we can scan information real quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, th so that's thinking repressed to me is that I have a hard time making decisions on my own and trusting that, I mean, I went into this newborn life thinking, I am not going to Google. I literally told myself, I'm not going to Google anything because that isn't going to help at all. Like, it's not going to help me at all. I'm not going to find any life in that. It's going to even make, increase my anxiety. Um, and then I fell into it again. So... Do you have a Google Home or Google Mini? Because that could make things just to talk to. Yeah, it I don't even of, have like a Gmail or anything. Oh man, but that, hey nothing, Google, that, that's, Google. A, that's a co-parent in our yeah. house. Just my homepage. Yeah, how do you, yeah. hey daddy, how do you spell this? Yeah, Google can tell you, I'm in the middle of something. <laughs> I mean, and they go up, Google spell whatever. So do y'all trust Google? See, all right, that's a good, yes. That's a, so is Google the authority? There's something out there that I trust. And yeah, yeah. Like out of the billions of things, something's going to be right. So I'm going to search through the billions of things to. Okay. So I already now, this know. This is fun. Yeah. No, 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 wait. I, I, I want you to say it. But So now, if I get this correctly, by the way, I went to charm school and I did not learn this posture there. If I get this, but it was in Lubbock, Texas, so you know. So. If I'm getting this right, you can scan the information that comes up from Google and know which one 
is the right answer out of the thousand answers. And you can do that quickly. Is that what you said? I imagine we can have teach a class on this probably, but I mean, you kind of intuit, you know, you figure out which website looks legitimate. I don't. Which, well, that's what you say, that sixes scan the horizon for danger. danger. So that's <laughs> yeah. the horizon. So you're just right? scanning. They, they scan. Oh, yeah, yeah. You look at the first five or six or seven. It's weird to people. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. I never See, get past the second option. You're too impatient to get past the second option. If they don't give it right to you straight in the first two options, then they don't know better than you, right? Well, that's just a fascinating thing to me that you trust. So, but what you're saying is not that you trust Google, that you trust yourself in using Google. Am I clear on that? Yes, yes. All right. Well, and some of it is I already feel like I know the answer. <laughs> but so, I'm going to go to Google, and then I'm going to read articles that I don't agree with because... That's not the answer that I'm looking for. That also helps us argue against what we know is the wrong answer. It's a lot of energy. <laughs> so I would like to point out to all of you that it is the theory of some, me included, that there are more sixes than any other number in the world. So if you ever wonder how Google is making all that money and surviving, <laughs> that's how. All right, we are on to doing. Um, I, I would say doing repression to me looks like procrastination. It's just I, I have something I know I need to do or see that needs to be done. That's the doing dominant side. But really doing repression is I don't want to do that right now. I'm, I'm more comfortable doing this. Uh, I, I've done a lot of church ministry in my life and preached sermons and things and it's fortunate there's a deadline on that. You know, I, it's got to be ready Sunday morning. Um, but I promise I, don't, I was never ready before Saturday night. I mean, there, there, I would always find other things that would be uh, more comfortable to do or uh, easier to do than actually doing the thing that I know I needed to do. What do you think? What do you think's behind that? I, I, I don't. I don't like feeling uncomfortable and it's when it's something that I know I just, don't want to. I just yeah I don't want I don't want to do things that uh, require too much work <laughs> I think <laughs> I think I may be lazy I don't know I, I gen genuinely don't think I'm I'm a lazy person at all I, I that's do. two sides to everything right there did you get that <laughs> I think I might be lazy no I'm for sure not lazy <laughs> for sure <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think I think I just there's always something that's going to be um, easier to do than the stuff that needs to be done, and I'd rather go the easy route when I can. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I would definitely agree that there's a an avoidance of doing things that are going to require a lot of effort. Um, so there's that that's an avoidance, and I would also say just to kind of add to. Um, I think that like meaningful doing requires like an integration of feeling and thinking and really feeling things. I, I don't really want to do that because that's being affected. Um, Y'all do describe doing as laborsome. 
both of you. <laughs> I don't want to do based on what y'all. Right. Said. Oh, but I'll do. I'll do things all day long, but I don't want to be affected by the things that I'm doing. And doing things that are meaningful and big, that does require being affected. And being effective. Um, you know, so I was listening just in the last couple of days to the podcast with Sean Palmer, and he was talking about how threes um, just have this, this um, drive and this um, way, this belief that they can do anything, anything, anything that they set their minds out to do. Like that is just a, that is just ingrained in who they are. And that's not ingrained in me as a nine. Like it's really the opposite. Like I, I don't believe that I can do anything like that. And it's not a diss on me and what I can do, but it's a, it's just, that doesn't even cross my mind that I can do certain things. So that's why we do revert back to just kind of doing what's in front of us. Do you have some concern about doing things that might cause conflict? Can you observe yourself not doing things that are not completing things because you think they might cause conflict? Yes, absolutely. And what about not doing things and the fact that you don't do them causes conflict? What are you doing with that? Because the reverend's 50-50 on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where the procrastination comes in, and it's, a, it's kind of like, I don't know, I mean, that's going to be in the future, that, the effect of not doing it. But then last minute comes and I'm like, oh, well, I better get this done. And I will, and I'll do it well. So we just had some uh, work done at our house. We have a, a zero lot line, but we have a long patio that's the length of our home. And we're going to stay there forever, we hope. And we've been waiting and saving to have some work done. And the workmen finished, and they tore out everything and planted new things. And it's so beautiful. And I was looking from our uh, dressing area in our bathroom out a window and I said you know the, aren't those little sprigs on that tree like they're not supposed to be there right and uh, that was manipulative because I knew the answer and um, he came and looked and he said yeah no those shouldn't be there and I said well since everything else is done like maybe you could cut those off and he said well you know they watered out there today and they've got these mounds of dirt out there that are new, and I think we need to let them settle, and blah, 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 I don't think I should do it, and all that. And then, uh, two hours later, he said, hey, look out the window. And I did, and he'd gone out and done it. And I said, hey, you, and he said, yeah, later is not a point in time. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I know that all on my own, right? So I want to talk with you all a little bit about later being a point in time. And then I want to know if it's a point in time for you, or you. I want to know, because we only talk about that in relationship to nines, and my big thing is that y'all always say you're going to do it later, and I say, yeah, that's not a point in time. So uh, how are you doing with that? You in agreement with me, or are you still thinking, yeah, yeah, it could be? <laughs> I mean, yeah, procrastination is still very much uh, the, the, the natural way for me to, to deal with anything that's difficult. Is okay. I'll I'll do it, but not right now. And that goes for household tasks. That goes for um, uh, relationship uh, conversations that need to be had. That maybe I'm aware that need, to, need they need to be had, but I know that they're going to involve conflict. 
I would rather do it later. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. And I've been, I've, I feel like that's something that I've really tried to be more aware of. And I, it takes intentionally stopping and saying, okay, I've, I've just got to do it right now. Whether it's have that conversation or do whatever task it is that I just need to get done that I don't want to do. This will probably progress as we go down, I imagine. For me, later in general um, is, uh, or, you know, kind of the amorphous later. It's not a point in time. It's helpful for me to have an actual point of time, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's when I'm, you know, that I'm going to do it immediately because there's a point in time. Um, like, I need the parameters for time. For time parameters are helpful for me, whereas for these guys, I guess maybe immediate is later. <laughs> I don't know. I think I have a story that'll emphasize what you're saying. So um, my husband is a one, and so when um, he asks me to unload the dishwasher, I'll say, okay, I'll do it. And in my mind, I say, later. And it completely drives him insane because he wants it done then. And then I get upset because he just then goes and does it. I get upset because I, I told you I would do it. Well, you're not, but you didn't do it now. But I, w I had intentions of doing it. I just had my day. I had my time kind of parsed as to how I was going to spend my time. And that request fit in later. <laughs> it's like, Mom, do you want to play hide and seek? Later. <laughs> I sure do. Later. Uh, I don't think I say I'll do that later. I, I, I think I'm aware when I'm not able to do a task immediately, but I don't say I'll do it later. I say I will do it after I do this thing. Or uh, I'll, like I'm thinking of home projects at the house like that I want to do. I know what order I want to do them in, and I like know that November 2nd is the next Saturday that I'm at home, and I know what projects like I know what I want to do to my garden on November 2nd because it's gonna be a half day project and the next the next time I have a Saturday at home until December and December 6th is the next Saturday at home I have after that and I know what things I want to do so I know when I can't do something immediately I'm fine saying that can't happen right now because I already know what I'm doing today and what I'm doing like November 1st and December 3rd so later is a specific time that I've put there for a particular reason and I will do it on I will do it on November 2nd. Yeah, later isn't, I often, or I seldom talk about later in a procrastinating way. I talk about later as I'm doing a lot of things now and I'll do other things later. It's not I'll get around to it because I'm avoiding it. It's that's a good thing and I'm excited about getting to later. I'm so future oriented. There are quite a few things on my later list but there are just as many things on my now list. So let's just put on the table that uh, the three's orientation to time is the future, six's orientation to time is right now, nine's orientation to time is the past. Can I just say that that was really funny because <laughs> we both laughed, like the things that I want to do, I do them now. And the things I don't want to do, those are the later things. Right. Yeah, not it's excited a, about the things. And you, you do everything right now, no matter whether you want to do it or don't do it. Yeah. You do it. We were busy day recently, leaving the Micah Center. And you're like, hey, what's going to happen here with this furniture? I was like, yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be done. And you were like ready to stop. You put your purse down and everything for 
she's very agile. She moves quickly and everything, but to move furniture, like they, they, they're on their way out the door. <laughs> now it's like, now's not the time for that. And I said, okay, cause I've given up. I will, <laughs> I will say on when they were talking about when am I going to do things? The question for me is, uh, I mean, not, okay, when am I going to do this? It's, does it really need to be done? Let's. That is the question yeah. for you. Yes, it <laughs> is. That, so, and then, and then if it doesn't get done, that means it didn't need to get done. So there's a, again, on the lower side, lower side of seven. It's a teaching moment right now. Where's the wife? Did she leave? So I am a seven and Suzanne, here's a two. We are both incredibly polar when it comes to the centers of intelligence for us as a seven and two. So if you think about all the organic moves, and if you don't know what we're talking about, you've got an anagram in your hand and it has all the arrows on it and all the lines that connect numbers to numbers, right? So Joel and I are the only two numbers, seven and two, that don't intuitively or organically in a move on the Enneagram at some point end up in all three centers. And there is no move on the Enneagram that takes Joel to feeling. And there is no move that takes me to thinking. And that does cause a little trouble from time to time. So the question is, you're thinking, or you're repressed and dominant in the same thing. It's not the same scenario as we've got going on here. Which one do you more identify with? Like when you wake up, am I feeling dominant threes or am I feeling repressed? I would say feeling repressed. I, I identify, stance work has been very meaningful to me. So, which is the whole language of which of these characteristics is most repressed. And it gives me something that I feel like I, I can work with. It, it really is a, a spiritual resource and a spiritual journey to be able to, to reflect on my life and see the ways that I, I'm not tuning in to feelings in a way that matters and the relationships that I say I value. So I can stop and reflect on how might I pay more attention to the role of feelings in these relationships. So I certainly pay more attention to the re- press side and the name of our stance the name of a feeling repressed stance is the aggressive stance and I'm much more aware of the aggressive part of my personality which gives me plenty to work on yes (laughs) that was not a question certainly not for you I agree that was efficient All right, coming back around before y'all answer, Heather, I want to ask you about something from before. And Jill, I want to ask you the same question. And she's going to ask it in one moment. We're just got to change something in the audio. So we're just going to stretch our legs and chit-chat, everyone stand up. And we're taking just a small little two-minute break. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to check out SuzanneStabile.com and LifeInTheTrinityMinistry.com. And visit theanagramjourney.org to leave your questions and comments. Go ahead and on your app or wherever you're listening to this, leave a rating and a review if you'd like. And be sure to tune in to episode 84 and the rest of the conversation between our panel and the Anagram Godmother.